Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at all of the news in the world of zoos, aquariums, animal conservation, and general animal weirdness. Uh, it's nice to have y'all back and... Um, yeah, let's get into let's get into my life for a minute like we like to do here. Uh so I am bringing you this episode from sunny Sonora, California, um about an hour's drive away from Yellowstone and I'm I'm hoping to get there. And uh, I'm playing with uh, the show Great Balls of Fire at um Sierra Rep Theater up here. And uh, yeah, so far it's been going really well. We actually let's see I'm recording this on Thursday the 15th. And we opened tonight. We had our final tech run this morning, and now I'm recording a podcast. And then, uh, yeah, then we're going to head on out to uh, to the show. So exciting times indeed. I have to tell you all. Um, so when we go out and do these shows, when I'm not on a tour, but I'm going to these different theaters and performing, uh, a big part of it is what the housing is going to be. Okay. So, um, you never know. Sometimes theaters own places and, uh, let's just say that they are, um, what's the, what's the diplomatic term? Let's just say well loved and other times they're, they're nicer and pretty cool. Um, you know, I can think of a lot of housing that I've been in, in a lot of different States and it, it really runs the gamut. Uh, but the house that we are at in, uh, Sonora here may be my favorite Ever. It is gorgeous. So first of all, we are all housed in a couple different places. So it's just me and my buddy Luke living here uh, in a three-bedroom house that we have to ourselves. It's um it's owned by the people who live next door, and they are the type of people with the type of finances who uh, they were building their house, and this house that was next door just became available on the market, and they just thought, oh, we should probably just buy that one too. And then once they had it, they were kind of like, oh, what should we do with the house that we own next to our house? And so um, they were like, oh, well, bonus house can just be used by the theater. And so the the theater, which they love and, and support, uh, gets to house people in this gorgeous house just just to be cool. And like it's it's fully furnished and it's really nice and it's it's kind of ridiculous. But the cool thing about it, despite, you know, the fact that everything that I just said is cool, is that it is on the side of a mountain, almost near the top of the mountain. And we have a porch that runs the entire length of the house out back that overlooks this huge dip down into a canyon where there are supposedly bears and mountain lions and stuff, although I have not seen them yet, yet. Um, 
but it is gorgeous. It is one of the most amazing views I have ever seen. The sunrise is incredible. And yes, even my liking to sleep in butt has managed to see the sunrise. And um, it's it's just gorgeous. I feel so close to nature here. I actually set up to record this uh, in a part of the house where I can look out the window and just see that incredible view. And right before I came in to, to do this, I was uh, on a business phone call um, for the show that I'm you know creating and, and that's going to be produced later this year. Uh, more on that in upcoming episodes. But um, there was a hawk circling. And you know normally when you think of a hawk circling, it's way above you. But the hawk was circling the canyon floor and as such was basically flying at my eye level. I was... 20, 30 feet away at one point, it was gorgeous. And that is the second time that has happened here already. Um, along with normal stuff, I've also seen a really cute deer, a bobcat, like wild bobcat. How wild is that? It's, it's incredible. Um, and two different foxes. And I've basically been here a little over two days. So, so things are going well in Sonora, California is, is the point I guess that I'm making. Now, I know what you're wondering. You've never heard of a Sonora Zoo, and that, that is true. There aren't really any zoos right here. But after the gig is over, I am headed to the Oakland Zoo and the San Francisco Zoo, both of which will be new zoos for me. Um, don't know if we're going to be able to connect with San Fran, trying to work on it, but uh, already connected with Oakland and have an interview scheduled there. As always, you never know what's going to happen, but uh, hopefully we'll be hearing from a very cool person who I actually met at the AZA conference and who works at the Oakland Zoo. Uh, I'm already so excited for that and for all of you to hear it. So yay that. So yeah, so that is what is going on in my life right now. And um, before we move on to the news, one quick reminder that Saturday, September 17th, which is the day after this episode drops, is International Red Panda Day. And if you haven't seen yet, please go and look at my stories on Instagram or check the link in my bio because I am helping out with the Red Panda Network fundraiser and there are cool prizes that you can win, um, most of which are Red Panda centric, but also uh, you can be involved in the podcast. So that's kind of cool if this is your thing and if you're listening. Um, so go and donate and be awesome. And, um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's my favorite holiday of the year. So make sure you're celebrating international red Panda day this Saturday. All right. That's enough of all that stuff. Let's get to it. Zoo news. Zoo news. It's the news that's about zoos. Zoo all right, so let's get to it. And we're going to start off by following up on a story we've been talking about a lot lately, which are the new baby binturongs at Potter Park Zoo, which they are calling bintlets, which I'm sure you've been listening, so you already know I've now started using for every baby animal, something lit. And um, yeah, the bintlets have names. Uh, they have been named Bintang and Zula. So Bintang and Zula are the bintlets. Bintang the bintlet is a lot in a really good way. So just a nice, fun, quick update from Potter Park Zoo about our favorite little bintlets out there. Um, and speaking of baby animals, let me ask you guys something. If there was one animal that I could tell you there is a new baby of, um, what would you want it to be? Anyone? Anyone? 
Yes, uh, Colleen Lenahan. O copies. Uh, okay, good choice. Anyone else? O copies. O copies. O copies. O copies. Okay, 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 fine. There is a new baby Okapi that was born at the Oklahoma City Zoo. And yes, sticking with the whole bintlet thing, I'm now calling it a Okoplet, which I like. Um, and if I wrote poetry about it, then it would be an Okoplet, Okoplet. So anyway, moving along, um, this is a calf that is the first uh, from Mother Kayan. And um, it's just really exciting. The mother is doing a really good job, which a lot of times first-time mothers do not do. And um, yeah, this is cool. The the calf was standing within an hour, and the health is good, and the vet team has done a wellness check, and all is well. And uh, he's currently a 57-pound baby boy O-Coplet. So congratulations to everyone at the Oklahoma City Zoo, and more importantly, congratulations to Colleen Lenahan. Some cool news out of Minnesota. Um, Representative Betty McCollum has announced that uh, she is advancing $2.2 million in community project funding to Como Zoo for an upgraded heating cooling system that will reduce emissions by up to 50% and lower operating costs for the zoo so that the zoo can focus resources on serving the community and, of course, the animals that live there. This is just really cool, and it's nice to see when governments get involved in helping with zoos and thus helping with conservation. I want to take a minute to thank some members of the Ross Safari community for helping out with uh, the next story I'm going to tell you about. Um, so there is a zoo in Greenville, South Carolina that is called the Greenville Zoo, which, you know, makes sense. And, um, they, uh, recently vaccinated a bunch of their animals against COVID-19 as all zoos should be doing. And, uh, not only did they talk about it on their social media, but the actual city of Greenville SC, uh, pages, Facebook, Instagram, etc., also, posted a video showing that the animals were getting the COVID vaccines. And that was very exciting until humans got involved. So it turns out that Greenville, South Carolina is a rather conservative area, shockingly, uh, which is not a big believer in COVID being a real thing, apparently. And so um, not a ton of people came out to comment, but all of the comments were filled with vitriol and people saying that COVID isn't real and that it was animal abuse and all that kind of stuff. And a, uh, a fan and a friend who happens to uh, work at the zoo uh, posted about it and I saw it and I, I threw up a thing on the Rossafari stories on Instagram and Facebook saying, hey, go add some nice comments if you would. And many people did. The community responded. It was very cool to see. There are a lot more comments and a lot of our comments got liked by each other. And um, I'm not exaggerating when I say before we did this, there was not a single comment posted in support 
of the animals getting the COVID-19 vaccine, but uh, now there are many. And while unfortunately the residents of Greenville kept commenting as well, um, in the end we were able to, you know, show the other side and let the city of Greenville know that there are people out there supporting them doing the right thing. So I I hate that this happened on social media, but I'm really proud of our community for coming together and uh, commenting and liking and, and doing the thing and supporting good behavior of zoos. So yeah, good work team. The Peginton Zoo over in Devon in the UK recently had to close for two weeks because of avian influenza issues. So uh, they were pretty excited to reopen on Wednesday, the 14th of September, after those two weeks. And um, they managed to stay open for a couple of hours before they had a shutdown after two gibbons escaped from their enclosure at the zoo. The zoo was evacuated, and staff was quickly able to get one of the gibbons back into the exhibit, but the other one was contained in a secure area by late afternoon, but not returned uh, to its habitat until the next day. The zoo is currently investigating exactly what happened, but uh, that's a rough way to start your first day back after two weeks of closure. I hope they're able to figure out what happened and uh, move on from this and, and learn from it. All right, so now we're going to turn to two stories of otters going viral this week that are kind of interesting and adorable all at once. So the first one is out of Brookfield Zoo outside of Chicago. And uh, you can go and check out this video for yourself. It is awesome. They have a mixed species exhibit in Tropic World Asia where white-cheeked gibbons and Asian small-claw otters live together, and they have recently begun accessing their exhibit at the same time. Um, (laughs) It is really cute because they are interested in each other, and you can actually see an otter pup checking out one of their gibbons at the zoo and vice versa. They're hanging out together. They're checking each other out. They are curious. It's adorable. It makes me happy. Go check it out at Brookfield Zoo on Instagram and Facebook. Trust me, it's awesome. And that brings us to a slightly, um, let's call it more nuanced discussion that we're going to have about the Dubai Aquarium and their special otter experience. So there are uh, multiple TikToks and, and reels and such right now going viral of the otter experience at the Dubai Aquarium. Now, this is an experience where you can go up to um, well, basically some uh, plexiglass and interact with the otters through little holes. And what the otters do is they reach their little adorable paws through the holes and interact with the guests on the other side. Um, on the surface, I think this is totally fine. This is this is very cool. It is a behind-the-scenes experience that you pay for. It is controlled. There is a keeper right there interacting with you. And the otters have choice. They do not have to come up to the holes, but they choose to. And it seems in the videos, and I've actually you know checked in with some otter keepers about this, and they agree, that it seems like the otters are enjoying themselves. So, you know, win, win, win. However, 
this does start to go to a weird place. And this is something that I struggle with sometimes with some of the photos that I post. You know, there is research right now showing that um, if we show pictures of primates dressed up in human clothing and such, and even maybe just hanging out on people's shoulders, it actually has a negative impact on conservation messaging. And so this has made me wonder if that's true in other situations. For instance, there are a lot of people who are sharing these videos from Dubai and not saying that it's behind the scenes, saying that anyone can just walk up and grab an otter's arms. And there are people who are even saying that it's not supervised, which is 100% not true, but you know, people gonna lie. And um, yeah, at that point, that would become a real problem. It would invite some real issues. And uh, so, you know, it starts to get to this weird place, I think, where like, you have to consider how what you post is going to be taken in any situation. Can it be taken out of context? Can this lead to people wanting otters as pets, even though I don't really have a problem with the experience itself? You know, I don't, I don't know. This is a very gray area, and I'm putting it in here not to tell you anything definitive, but to simply tell you that this is what I'm thinking about right now. I mean, my podcast logo is me interacting with a red panda. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But at the same time, I do have to worry, is there something wrong with that? We have to be aware of it. So um, yeah, I just wanted to, to put that out into the world. And I'd love to hear if any of y'all have thoughts about this kind of thing. But uh, it's it's definitely something that I would like to do if I ever get to go over to Dubai and um, and, and spend some time holding hands with, with otters because otters are adorable. And, uh, oh, to address one other thing really quick about this, um, I have heard some people say that because it's in Dubai, it's probably not a good thing, whatever. But the Georgia Aquarium does this with their sea otters, and they also have these little holes that they can reach through and such. So, like, good AZA-accredited best aquarium in the United States is doing it, you know, like, this is probably okay, but, again, worth considering. So, uh, yeah, th thanks, for, uh, thanks for going down this philosophical and moral thought process with me. And now we go from philosophy to just some cool straight science. So earlier this year, Paradise Wildlife Park in the UK uh, bred black hornbills, and it was the first time in two years that the bird has been successfully bred. Well, the same breeding pair has now hatched two more chicks. That's in the same year. That is something that has never been documented in this species before. Um, the new chicks are obviously going to help with this population, which is wildly important. But also now we need to start to understand how did this happen? Why did this happen? Is this something that we can use with our XC2 conservation, but also maybe with NC2 conservation? for these animals. It opens up a whole world of inquiry that I'm just wildly excited about. Uh, but congrats to Paradise Wildlife Park for being the first to ever document this. We send our condolences to the Erie Zoo, who recently had to euthanize their senior resident African lion, Nala. Nala 
passed away at 24 years of age, with the median life expectancy being between 10 and 18 years for African lions. So that's really impressive. Um, She was one of the oldest documented African lions in the world at the time of her passing, and for the last couple of years had been treated regularly for age-related issues uh, common in cat species, such as kidney failure, arthritis, and muscle loss. Um, Towards the end of her life, the vet team was literally checking in on her every day to make sure she had good quality of life. And as soon as that started to fade, uh, the decision was made to humanely euthanize her uh, as she was, you know, surrounded entirely by her care team that had been taking care of her. It's always really sad to see something like this happen, but it is such a testament to the amazing work done by the staff of the Erie Zoo to keep Nala so healthy, so alive, and uh, as the queen of the zoo for a long time past her median life expectancy. Great job, Erie Zoo, and uh, condolences for your loss. And speaking of losses, one of the most famous animals in the zookeeper world, who doesn't really have a ton of fame outside of that realm, has passed away recently. Uh, Cranberry the Elephant Shrew, who lived behind the scenes at Zoo Knoxville, and who I've talked about on this podcast before. If you listened to the Sarah Glass episode, you'll know exactly who I'm talking about, uh, has passed away. Cranberry was old. Cranberry was living the life of an elephant instead of an elephant shrew and uh, had the absolute best life with the best keepers taking the best care of her until she finally gave up the ghost and moved on. Cranberry will be greatly missed, but also Cranberry's legacy will live on. Her skeleton is heading to East Tennessee State University to join the collection of skeletons at the Gray Fossil Site, where she will be able to help out researchers there. Now, early on in this podcast, if you are a newer podcast fan, you might not remember this, but go back and listen to the Gray Fossil Site episode. It was one of the most mind-blowing and different things I have ever done on this podcast. It was very early season one. Go check it out and you will understand how absolutely cool this is. And also it makes total sense because um, the, the way that I found out about Gray was through Sarah Glass, who recommended that I go there and do a podcast episode. And Sarah is one of the keepers of Cranberry. So uh, yeah, that's just awesome. I I love that this little elephant shrew not only got famous for uh, bringing joy to zookeepers around the world, but also is now going to live on forever at Gray. Very cool. Avian influenza, y'all, it keeps popping up. And in the latest story, the Akron Zoo has decided to pull all its birds again and put them into shelter and be safe because um, there is another migration happening right now and avian influenza is still a real problem. So uh, great job, Akron, you know, taking care of your birds. Um, But man, this is a bummer. I wish we knew what was going on with this and could figure out how to fix it, but it just, yeah, it just hasn't happened. Um, I'm curious, though, because I know that 
uh, Cleveland still has its birds on display. I was just there. Same with Columbus. And these are all in roughly the same area. Maybe the migration is a very small path. I know they're all keeping their eyes out, but, um, yeah, I just, I'll be curious to see if other zoos in the area and along the migratory path also announce that they are taking their birds off exhibit. So far, I've only heard about it from Akron, but that might be because Akron is awesome and always ahead of the game. Who knows? And speaking of birds and Cleveland, the first family of trumpeter swans to ever nest in Cleveland Metro Parks has been observed. Uh, This is really exciting because the species almost went extinct and um, they've been doing 25 years of conservation work to try to bring them back in the parks, uh, working, of course, with Cleveland Metro Parks Zoo. And now it seems to be paying off and the first family of trumpeter swans is there. So yay to that. Uh, Hopefully the avian influenza thing doesn't become a problem, though. And you know what? Let's just keep going with some uh, Ohio news because I like it there. Uh, The Cincinnati Zoo recently announced that um, 60 American burying beetles that were brought back from Nebraska to breed over uh, the summer uh, did a pretty darn good job. Um, Those 60 beetles produced about 1,100 offspring, which is really good news. And so um, those beetles have started to be re-released into Ohio, and the American Burying Beetle Reintroduction Program is just so cool. It's been so fun watching it spread. Uh, Again, talking about old episodes, if you go back and listen to Lou Parati of Roger Williams Park Zoo from season one, you'll understand how cool this reintroduction program is and how amazing it is that it keeps spreading to more locations. So this is awesome news for um, the Beatles in Ohio and also for just everyone involved in animal conservation. And while we're talking about Ohio, we've got to talk about polar bears. Um, The polar bears at the Columbus Zoo were recently uh, given artificial insemination in hopes that the procedure will produce cubs. It's never been successful before, but they're trying it again. Um, And this is in conjunction with Cincinnati Zoo's crew, including our friend Dr. Aaron Curry, who you've heard on a recent episode of the podcast. And so far, uh, we're seeing some good signs from Aurora, who has started denning behaviors, which is often a sign that there is a cub, although it can not mean that as well. And there's no real way to know until November or December, in part because there's no pregnancy test for polar bears because Dr. Aaron Curry is still working on that like we discussed in the episode. Um, The other bear, Anana, is not denning but is also not acting quite like herself. Um, So they are currently awaiting test results to see what they think might be going on there. So let's keep our fingers, toes, and all other appendages crossed that everything is okay with Anana. Nora Fletchall, the president and CEO of the Buffalo Zoo, has resigned after over five years of leadership at the zoo, including leading them through a successful reaccreditation process for the AZA. 
There's absolutely nothing untoward or concerned about this. She's just moving on to her next professional endeavor. And in the interim, the uh, zoo is going to be run by Chief Zoological Officer Lisa Smith. And uh, the former chairman of the board, John Dandies, will lead a national search committee to appoint a successor. So if you've ever thought, hey, maybe I should run a zoo, look into Buffalo. And two quick last stories in Zoo News. First of all, on Monday, September 19th at 5 p.m. St. Louis time, the St. Louis Zoo will be hosting a free one-hour webinar about working in zoos for high school students. If you are a high school student or know anybody who is a high school student that is interested in working in zoos and uh, finding out how to get a start in the field, go ahead to at STL Zoo on Twitter or at St. Louis Zoo on Instagram and Facebook and find the link and sign up. Again, that is Monday, September 19th at 5 p.m. Um, St. Louis time. And then last but not least for Zoo News this week, uh, there is a new thing that y'all might be interested in. You can go to zooaquariumvideoarchive.org or check out Facebook, Zoo and Aquarium Video Archive, and uh, you will be able to go there to see the world's most comprehensive collection of rare interviews, photos, and videos featuring zoological pioneers and innovators in the wildlife conservation movement. There are currently over 150 hours of exclusive footage on the site and uh, more to come. So go check it out if you're interested in nerdy zoo stuff. And if you're not, what the heck are you doing here? Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. Here to bring you to conservation news. All right, and we're going to start off with some really exciting news. Um, five new northern white rhino embryos have been created, bringing the total to 22. Uh, this is a huge deal, and um, if, if you don't know this story, you need to go look at it in detail. But basically, there is a large group of conservationists working together to try to save the northern white rhino, of which only two are still alive in the world. Um, and the way they're planning on doing this is by artificially inseminating southern white rhinos with the embryos that are created uh, from these two remaining females and um, some, you know, formerly saved and frozen sperm. So this is a really big deal. And Fatu, the uh, adult female rhino that the eggs were taken from, handled the procedure very well. And yeah, now there are 22 potential northern white rhinos chilling in a lab waiting to become actual rhinos. I cannot wait to see this all happen in, in the real world in real time. It's going to be incredible. My experience of this next story all started with a tweet. The uh, outdoor apparel maker Patagonia tweeted out that they were going to save the world and as such were giving their staff a day off. Seems like a weird way to save the world, and I was a little bit confused. So I did a little bit more digging, and I found out that um, the eccentric rock climber, who has become a billionaire by starting this company, his name is Yvonne Chouinard, has decided to give his company away. 
Uh, the company, which is currently valued at about $3 billion, has been given to a specially designed trust and nonprofit organization that was created to preserve the company's independence and ensure that all of its profits, which is around $100 million a year, give or take, are used to combat climate change and protect undeveloped land around the globe. Not only is this awesome, but it's also really interesting because I've, I've seen a few cynics say, oh, whatever, this is just a woke movement thing to increase profits. And like, you know, okay, I can understand that, except, oh, wait, all the profits are going to climate change. So even if this does actually help make the company more profitable, those profits will go to fight climate change. And thus, it is not a person just uh, pretending to be, quote, woke. God, I hate that word, but whatever. Um, and actually profiting from it. But yeah, this is just a, a dude and a family who are helping the world, which is incredible. So um, yeah, I, I love this. And uh, you should probably all go buy like coats or something from Patagonia. You know, help save the world. In less cool news... Another movie is coming out with a monkey pet situation that is just really problematic. Uh, we talked about one of those last week, and now there's another one. Steven Spielberg is releasing a movie called The Fablemans, which is a semi-autobiographical look into his younger years. And um, yeah, there's a part where the uh, mother in the movie decides to purchase a monkey because she, quote, needs a laugh. Oh, that's not great. And not only is it not great in terms of showing that in the story, but it's also not great that they actually hired a real monkey to be in the movie. There is no CGI. There is a monkey actor doing the thing. Um, I confess that I, I sometimes have mixed feelings about those things a little bit um, because um, – you know, we've talked to places like America's Teaching Zoo teaches people how to properly train animals to be on screen. And, and that kind of thing is, is pretty popular and can be pretty cool. But again, not if it's shown in certain lights. And one of those lights is having animals that should not be pets as pets. So um, PETA is actually making a huge stink about this, and it's always kind of weird to agree with them on things. But um, I do agree with them that the scenes should be cut from the movie. Um, I'm, I'm still debating whether or not I personally am offended by, um, you know, a monkey acting, but uh, definitely shouldn't act in this this kind of capacity. It's, it's being the anti of an ambassador for its species in the wild. So yeah, I wish Hollywood would just stop it with the monkeys as pets story. They're, it's just not good. Just don't, don't do it. Oh, and this actually totally reminds me of a thing that, um, I just learned about the other day from my friend, Amanda Morrill, um, that it is worth mentioning, I think. So I'm going to just drop it in here now. As you probably know, uh, one of Red Panda Network's big movements is the hashtag no panda pets movement, right? There's a problem with people wanting red pandas as pets. And so we put hashtag no panda pets on a lot of posts about red pandas and tell people they do not make good pets and should not be pets and are illegal to own in most situations. Cool. So if you use that hashtag or any other hashtags like it, one of the very cool things that you can do now is capitalize each word. It has been pretty common for a long time to just write the whole hashtag, all lowercase, you know, 
whatever. But it turns out that um, the AI will not read those effectively for people who have like limited sight or whatever. But if you put a uh, capital letter at the beginning of each word, it will read them properly. So it would actually come up and say, hashtag no panda pets in its best robot voice. That was, that was my best robot voice. And, um, and that way anybody who isn't able to see as well or, or has problems with literacy or whatever will be able to actually understand your hashtag and, uh, get the message. So capitalize each word in your hashtags, uh, just to, to help out. And thank you to Amanda for that amazing information. A new tree frog species has been discovered in Costa Rica, um, Taper Valley, which used to be a cattle ranch but has been rewilded into a nature reserve, is now the only known home of this species known as the Taper Valley tree frog. Scientists that discovered it are currently working to learn everything they can about the species in order to figure out, uh, you know, if it's endangered or not and what they need to do to protect it or save it or whatever. So uh, yeah, this is really exciting news out of Costa Rica. Australia is doing its bit. Um, they have passed the first climate change legislation in a decade in that country. The bill um, includes national targets of cutting emissions by 43% by 2030. Now, you may remember that there is an international pact that the United States is a part of to cut carbon emissions by 30% by 2030. Uh, so 43 is rather ambitious. And then the entire country is planning on being carbon net zero by 2050. I like dogs. Okay, that's not the story. That's actually not news to any of you. Um, but one of my favorite things is conservation dogs. We've talked about dogs being used in a variety of conservation functions on this podcast. And I'm here to tell you about another one. Um, so this is actually out of the Fort Worth Zoo uh, that partners with the National Parks Trust of the Virgin Islands to spearhead a Head Start program for the... Anagata Iguana. Okay, so this year, Kelly, one of the conservation biologists on the project, brought in her dog, Pena, a scent detection dog um, that was donated to Kelly by Paul Bunker of Chiron Canine LLC. Love me some working dogs. So Kelly and Paul worked together to train Penna to find iguana nests in the wild using scent detection. And she found a nest. Mm, we think. Okay. So um, obviously it's important to track down the nests in order to uh, relocate the hatchlings to the Head Start facility where they can grow and, and then be re-released. And um, that's exactly what happened. But the eggs won't hatch until later this fall. So technically, we don't know if they are iguana eggs or other eggs. However, what we do know, scientifically speaking, is that Pena is a very good dog. Yes, yes, yes. Pena is such a good dog. And also that she found eggs and was trained to find iguana eggs. So like probably good. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens with the eggs. I'm sure that more information will be released uh, when it becomes available. I will share it with y'all. There's a good girl. 
And then last but not least for conservation news, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about the fact that um, sea turtles have been seen nesting in areas where they used to nest and then haven't nested for a long time and all that jazz. Well, it turns out that sea turtles have officially set records this nesting season. Um, They are doing significantly better with nesting than at any time in the recent past. So that is really good news for sea turtle conservation. Of course, the bad news is that, you know, baby sea turtles often don't make it and mortality rates are just hugely high and there are plastics in the ocean and about a billion other issues. But I'm going to take this for the win that it is and think, hey, maybe all of the conservation messaging about keeping plastics out of the ocean is working and uh, maybe this isn't just a fluke and um, sea turtles will start to thrive more and more. So, um, yes, that please. It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, all right now, then now it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast other news. Okay, so this next story basically sounds like a um, failed submission for a Breaking Bad episode. Police recently showed up to uh, issue a search warrant at a house where they found large bags of marijuana, cocaine, fentanyl, multiple illegal guns, an illegally owned three-foot alligator, and a bill of sale for a baby tiger that was not found as part of the investigation, leading the police there to assume that there is a 60-pound or so right now tiger on the loose somewhere in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So um, I I, I can't help it. It cracks me up that this is in Albuquerque where Breaking Bad took place. I I can't help it. It's funny to me. I mean, the story is horrible, but that fact is is funny. Um, So yeah, if you happen to be in Albuquerque and you're going to ABQ Biopark and you're going to go check out the birds that we talked about with Nick Lopez and uh, you, you see what looks like a really big striped kitty be careful and let local authorities know. Cannot believe that a tiger has escaped in Albuquerque from a drug den. Come on. Apparently, in Australia, cockatoos are simply flying raccoons. I say that because right now in Sydney, man and bird are waging a fierce battle over garbage. Um, It turns out that sulfur-crested cockatoos have started to learn how to rob garbage bins and have even started to teach other parrot species how to do this. Of course, because this is how this works, man has now responded and are trying to do things like, you know, put bricks on the, um, the tops of their bins so that the birds won't be able to get in there. And at first, it worked. But uh, the cockatoos are starting to solve the problem. Um, For instance, some are working together to lift the bins. Some are starting to figure out that if they lift from the side, the bricks will move and they can get in. And the crazy thing about this is, yet again, they seem to be teaching other birds about it. So currently the cockatoos are kind of winning, which is hilarious. 
Um, but yeah, so there's this whole big thing happening right now where humans are trying to come up with cockatoo proof, uh, bin toppings and the cockatoos are solving them. And that just makes me happy. Animal, animal, animal holidays, animal, animal, animal holidays. All right, and these are your animal holidays for the week. Keep in mind that it is still September, which means it is Save the Koala Month. Now, this episode drops on Friday the 16th, which is Plover Appreciation Day. The 17th is International Coastal Cleanup Day, and, um, wait, is, is there something else? Oh, yeah, International Red Panda Day! Woo! Go donate to the fundraiser, please. Yay. Um, the 18th starts Sea Otter Awareness Week, which runs all the way to the 24th. And then the 22nd is both Elephant Appreciation Day and World Rhino Day. Which again, why are we putting these two ridiculously charismatic megafauna species on the same day? But hey, I'm not in charge of it. I just report on it. Anyway, those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, there you have it, folks. Another week of Zoo News is done. Yay, go team. And in this case, by team, I mean me. Um, so go me? Yeah, that doesn't sound weird at all. Anyway, um, please remember that you can contribute to Rossafari Zoo News simply by tagging me in any stories that you see on social media. I'm at Rossafari everywhere except for TikTok where I'm at Rossafari Pod. Or by emailing them to me, rossafaripod at gmail.com, and then I will thank you in this outro section. Pretty cool, y'all. Uh, make sure that you're subscribed. Make sure you're following along. Make sure you're doing all the things. I know I've said it twice, but go donate to my Red Panda Network uh, fundraiser running through Saturday. Uh, right before Saturday ends. You've got all day. There are cool prizes. They're very cool, I promise. Uh, and yeah, I'd like to say thank you to my Red Panda level patron, Laura Shank, and also everyone who contributed stories this week. <gasps> Big breath, because there are a lot of them. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Peter Oilo, Kerry Kirkpatrick, Jenny Curtinitis, Kristen Khalil, Liz Dunlevy, Chris Gross, Zoe Vesley Gross, Ken Tryon, and Amanda Morrill. Thank you all so much for your help. And remember, friends, the words Newsy Credits Backwards are Steider Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.